To this special episode of Zapped to the Past, this is our Ask the Podcast special. Um, This is the third one we've done where we answer the questions that were put to us by our patrons on our Patreon to our Discord server. Um, So normally we chat about Commodore 64 games, but now we are at the mercy of the questions being asked and they are varied and odd. So um, this is a bit of a bonus episode. We said we weren't going to actually release anything until after New Year, but hey ho, here we are. You surprise! Can't keep, yeah, <laughs> surprise! Yeah, you, you can't you can't keep a good podcast down. And so episode one hundred and one is coming. Uh, not episode one hundred and one. The hundred one, whatever you know what I mean. Last one was hundred. Um, so here we are. I hope you're having a good break. We are. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe I don't know what it'd be yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. hopefully it's been we're going to a good break. Lovely. Um, <laughs> Ainsley Jarvis. <laughs> um, what do you get? What do you get for Christmas? Gun oil. <laughs> good, good, good. Latrine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lovely. <laughs> I blame my shelves. <laughs> um, should we get some questions? Yeah. So yes. uh, let's have a laugh. Uh, let's see. Let's some of these questions, uh, and we'll get on with this. Right, Andy Marsh. Uh, hey. His first question is once again. Um, no, not once again. Can you explain why Kit is not a Cylon, please? So Kit the car. Kit the car. I presume because he's a car and he's not in Battlestar Galactica. I mean, it's a yeah. simple answer. You can't cross <laughs> your streams there. It's a two no. different worlds. I mean, I know he's got the eye of a Cylon because um, he's got that. <laughs> Give them the eye. <laughs> the, the eye of the Cylon. He's got the eye that, of the Cylon. Is that the eye of the tiger? Is that the first part oh, of that song? I don't I, like these lyrics. I, I don't want really there work to be a Cylon, Cylon version of the eye of the Cylon. the Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> Just one no. Balta. So that's why you don't cross yeah. the streams. Don't cross no, the. You can't. Streams. You can't cross the episodes. of TV. You know the what they call them. The uh, the world streams. You can't do that. You can't do that. No. Uh, another question. Well, he doesn't did... have a silent voice. Although, just as an aside. The later Cylons. <laughs> Could you imagine if he did? Well, they Michael, do. They do. What are you doing? <laughs> there's the robot Cylons, and then there's the. Well, they're all robots, but there's the there's the Cylons that have got ice cream heads with lights inside. Later on in Battlestar Galactica, the original series, okay, and they sort they sort of talk like this by your command. They sort of talk like that. So maybe there's a little bit of that there. But oh, maybe there is. But they're ice cream heads. They're not got the eye. Oh, they've got two eyes. But they uh, will probably have two eyes. I don't know. I'll find a picture of one. <laughs> Please do, Betty Lou. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm talking about now. No, I it's don't all gone, either. It's all it's gone getting, mad. It's getting late. <laughs> well, We've been it's late today. <laughs> um, another question. Did you ever change the pricing stickers on games to get them for cheaper at the game shop? Be honest. No, no. and I'll tell you why I didn't, because they were cheap enough. Um, at the place where we could rent games from in Grimsby, they also sold them what they called backups. Yes. Um, for £2. So you could just go and buy it for £2, whatever game it was, yeah. which was 
when I think about the budget games that they did, did as well, it seems very mean. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Did they do it for budget ones? I think it's just because they, they bought did it one, for all of them. Yeah, because they bought one <laughs> copy, didn't they, and then backed up loads so they could sell multiple copies yeah. of the same one. Yeah, yeah. Suffice so, to say, they didn't last long after they started doing that. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, their business model had a, a, a key flaw in it. <laughs> <laughs> a legal flaw, some might say. <laughs> yeah, some might say that. Yeah, something yeah. tells me that something went wrong. Yeah. That was our question from Andy Marsh. Uh, Buzz it. Um, It said, tell me what you think of this song. This was a John Cougar Mellencamp song. Did you listen to this at all? Um, It's Paper Uh, in Fire. I I can't honestly remember it. I listened to it a while ago. I listened to it. It sounds exactly like what you'd expect a John Cougar Mellencamp song to sound like, is my opinion of that. So make of that what you will. Um, David Hearn Writer asks... Uh, you two must have played ah, ice cream heads. Um, you two must have played a few two-player games against each other. Who was the better player at which games? Any memories come to mind? Um, that's a good question, actually. The only one uh, I really remember as playing was IK Plus on the Amiga. Yeah, we played a lot of IK Plus. I was a master at IK Plus. Was there, I think we played Barbarian a bit as well. Barbarian, yeah. There's a lot of the fight, two-player fighting games. Because we did a bit of way exploding oh, fist we, back in the day. Not just two-player. We had four-player Lotus Esprit Challenge. Four-player Lotus Esprit. I don't remember being very good at that. I'm not generally no, good I at think I was, games. It was either me or Lawson that was either the best. Yeah, at that. yeah, yeah. You were the better, better at those. Um, I can't think of any other because a lot of them we didn't play two-player. I'm trying to think of mainly more, probably more Amiga ones really. Um, I only had one joystick, which meant somebody would have had to bring the joystick around. I didn't. I didn't yeah. end up with two, um, yeah, but I don't remember. Um, I'm no, trying to I think of what other two player games there'd be. Mainly the fighting ones. I can think of Barbarian yeah. and the, the other ones and things like that. I remember playing um, a lot of things like Decathlon. Activism Decathlon with Gary. Um, he had terrible waggling technique, which always surprised me. <laughs> that but, surprises you know. me because I mean that's, that's <laughs> something he clearly made up for in later life. <laughs> <laughs> did he? Yeah, he, he would. He, he had really massive arm movement for no reason. It's hard to explain. But he over, he over, he over exerted. <laughs> like, he just got to do it. He'd move your hand, and he was, he was all like, it's like he was soaring. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he's just watching his dad's technique. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> for joystick waggling, yeah, crazy. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's move on quickly. Um, Joshua K asked, "You've both got some good taste in games. Thank you." But I've always wondered if nice. there are any games that were just utter shite, but you were determined to love in spite of yourself. For me, one I loved was Cops and Robbers. Ugh, loved that game. Confess. Ooh, it's tricky that. Um, I mean, I, like, that... I, like I said, I play. I remember playing a lot of Cobra back in the day. Yeah, I, I suppose there's your guilty dark secret. Uh, and, and also that bloody Pe- Richard Pettis Talladega for some stupid reason. I'm trying to think if there was any game that were... Yeah, Booty. I, was, I got kind of addicted to Booty for a while. That and endlessly loading <laughs> wizardry t- in a hope that it would be that, better. I'm going to take that sample. I'm going to take that quote. I got addicted to Booty. I'm going to take that out. <laughs> endlessly that addicted to Booty. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think Booty. I think a little bit of um, uh, wizardry. And even oh. playing quite a bit of Book Rogers at one point. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't have a lot of games then. I had one turbo tape that I'd pretty much all the games on I played for at least you know, you six had months. That, that turbo tape that everyone had. Yeah, I the think, turbo uh, tape. Yeah, I had and, Rogers on it. Thought Apocalypse was on that. It, I think. Yeah, and I think the other one I would say would be uh, is it Star Trader, the one that was on. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I played, you played so of much of that, loads of it. Um, but I know it was rubbish, but I played loads of it. Yeah, on oh, um, um, Arabian Nights, I'm playing that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. 
Um, also, ask, also, do you feel bad for pointing out to your listeners that Brian May singing the first verse in Who Wants to Live Forever promptly gets blown out of the water by Freddie Mercury singing the second <laughs> verse? I love that song, and I never noticed it, and now I can't unhear it. Uh, no, we don't feel bad. We think we do no. a public service. <laughs> I was going to say, the more exposure Brian May's voice gets for being the horror that it is, the better. <laughs> yeah. I actually watched that into the entirety of the... Uh, the guitar expo with him in it and up until the point he comes on it's all good and then he comes on wailing in that everything and it's like oh god that's awful you can't be somebody somebody screams at the beginning of that in the background you hear someone go ah so it's freddie (laughs) mercury it will be yeah awful from his grave probably they do Uh, a version of tie your mother down in that concert as well with uh, brian may singing on that no no not good no uh so there you go no we don't feel bad um dr goggles asks forgive me if this has been asked before but what's the first c64 game you remember playing i think it has um mine is either burger time or uh, hunchback it's the two we got with the machine yeah i think going back mine would probably be possibly off that not turbo burger, tape. Not, sorry not burger time mr wimpy mr, mr. wimpy, wimpy. i think mine would be something off that bill. off that turbo tape i think one of the early ones really? off that. okay yeah something like that okay uh, David Hearn writer asks, "What's a book series you got hooked on growing up?" Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, Dragonlance. For you me. was well into your thing, is weren't you? Yeah, yeah Dra- Dragonlance. Just I was voraciously just devoured those books when I found them. Um, like just read them in days, all of them. A bunch of good. So yeah, the Dragonlance books were the big ones for me that um, had a sort of huge impact on what I would like. Probably Lord of the Rings as well. But Dragonlance ones, I think, were a bit more accessible to my age by itself. Um, it varies a bit. I have and still am an enormous Roald Dahl fan. Mm-hmm. I always, I think, I always will be for the whole of my life. So I read, I read everything he's ever written, everything, including all the weird stuff. Find it, it fascinates me. Some of the stuff, and I, I love the stories he writes. So that's a bit of a. But I also quite like. Um, so, because I don't know if you could describe that as a series. I also got really heavily into the Ninja Way the Tiger series for a while. So I started reading quite a few of those. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I'd, I'd, throw, I'd throw in the fighting fantasy books as well. It's because I just consider yeah. them games rather than book series. It's hard yeah, to... Yeah, I was just going to say, are they books or the games? I, I don't know. I kind of got into them. Um, and then I got, like you, I sort of... I, I sort of flipped between all sorts of different things. I got really into, um, like you say, Lord of the Rings, but I, I really enjoyed The Hobbit and then read The Lord of the Rings and I enjoyed it slightly less, I think, because it's such a weighty tome. Mm. Um, and it felt really overwhelming to try and read that after The Hobbit because The Hobbit's much easier in. Yeah, it's a slight And then book. I tried to get into the sort of Shannara books and didn't quite get there with them. I think I just got fed up by that point. So I kind of tuned out the fantasy stuff and then, I don't know, we're just kind of... <laughs> yeah, the precious Elfstones. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it became a thing with us, didn't it? The precious yeah. stones. <laughs> so I just, I kind of just did, I kind of just flitted in and out of different books. So the ninja books kept me for a while, game books, I suppose. And then I'm trying to think if there was a series after that. I never liked the Narnia books or anything like that. We didn't have a Harry Potter back then. Um, I quite like just some Larson books, and I started to get into more, you know, comics and fun and silly things. Mm. And um, I, I would... didn't go for really serious reading at that time. I, I had a series of gold. Um, page sort of edged books in a series that my dad had given me, which had Treasure Island and a few others in, and I worked my way through them. And I remember I still like Treasure Island to this day. Um, so that sort of stuff. I think that's why I like Guy Streetwood games so much probably. because of that book. Yeah, probably. So, 
Um, the other fantasy stuff that I got really into as well on the back of Dragonlance was things like uh, David Eddings, the Belgariad Malorian, Raymond D. Feasts, the uh, Magician series, uh, Darkness of Sethon on Silverthorn, that sort of stuff. Um, other ones, trying to think of some other stuff, some Ben Bova stuff, some sci-fi stuff. Um, yeah, just some some of the, some of the big fantasy books from the 80s. I uh, sort of worked my way through most of those. You wanted to see horror books, weren't you, for a while? As well. I, was, I was. I was reading a lot of um, – I read – like James Herbert, Sean Hudson, Richard Layman. You read, remember, you remember you saying um, you read a lot. And all, all those, all those kind of things. I just read. I just yeah, read. Was as a very avid read. reader, though. Um, I read the a lot of Michael Moorcock stuff, like the Elric things. Yeah. Um, they were weird. They were they, they were, were books piled bit, up. That you were bit, reading. bit of an eye opener. They were. Well, we had the luckily we had libraries back then. We yeah, had, had we had uh, local yeah, we had yeah. local libraries. There was a library literally about you know a hundred yards from my house, the Willows Library, and it was just there. And you could just go and it had loads. Of, that's where I got all the Elric books from and stuff. It's like you know just around your corners, the book, Michael Moorcock's Elric series. You're like my God, um, and things like that. So you just don't get that these days. I mean, everything's on the internet. I get it. So it's just at your fingertips. But there was a thrill of going to the library and getting a book. And then going home and just devouring it, I just, I just loved it. So that was me. Um, Andy, when I actually got a load here, did you ever have a sense that there was shovelware on the C64 back in the 80s? Or when did you become, begin to become aware that the suits were making decisions to suck your pocket money away? Well, that's rapidly becoming more and more obvious that that's the case. I think that, that realisation has been this podcast. I don't think I was really aware of it back then. because no, same. Because I think even back then, I think both you and I – had a sense of what we liked and what we were going to like. So we yeah. generally spent our money and bought the games that we kind of had a sort of inkling, I'm probably going to like this, Barbarian. I'm probably going to like Barbarian. I'm probably going to like Samurai Warrior, these yeah. sort of things. So, so I wasn't blowing my you know money on crap no, very, and- infre- very infrequently. So I had a good good sort of direction, sort of direction of decent stuff. So Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And so I didn't really sort of think, I would read Zap and just read loads of crap reviews and then would never even think of those games again until, you know, we'd done this podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because we didn't, there wasn't a lot of expendable income in in our youth. It's different now, but there wasn't. And it's not that we were, you know, rich, poor or whatever, that's irrelevant. It's just, that's not the way that money was distributed in families. It just wasn't, it just, no, I, I didn't get any handed to me, except on special occasions, birthdays, Christmases and things like that. So when I was spending that money, when I was buying games, um, I was very prudent about what I, I made sure I was going to like the game because it, was, it wasn't it was just about the buying of the game. It was that a trip into town took a bus fare and money and a parent to go with you at that certain age mm. um, because I wasn't allowed to go into town on my own until I was, you know, a bit older. So it, it needed, and I, you know, or my brothers, uh, so much my brother actually would have been in the Navy, but my, my sisters would go. And it, it just was a, it was an event to go and do that. And it happened at certain times of the year. It didn't happen all the time. And so not only were you limited by the games that were out and mm. on the shelves at the time, but also limited by what, you know, what you felt would appeal to you. So it was actually quite a, a quite a, you were very selective because you were spending, it felt like a lot of money was coming out of your hand if you bought a yeah. game for 10 quid. And then at a certain stage, I stopped buying games completely because I didn't need to. Because we were just getting them on disc yeah, and copied. I did, yeah, just, I was just getting copies all the time. So I didn't need to buy them anymore. But we also had, Uniquely, I think in in some ways, J and M Software and Grimsby, 
who rented games for a pound. Yeah. So you could go and literally try them and then buy it for two pounds off all of their backups. Or you could, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, I tended not to buy many of their backups because I like quite liked having original, the original boxes. I guess that's why collectors have them to this day. But you were, we were, be- we actually were, it was amazing to have a thing like that as much as it was a crazy business that was doomed. Um, it was an, inter- an interesting thing to have for a while. Yeah. But it did make, but you were prudent shoppers back then. And then, um, yeah. So, and then by the time we got access to everything through, this copy's been sent to you and, yeah. and Gary. We, we, just, we just didn't care at that point. Yeah, which is just. Yeah. And when looking back with the shovelware thing, I think I wasn't aware that it was that. But at the same time, it was. It's obvious that when you've got lots of prudent shoppers out there spending money carefully with review magazines, the easiest thing to do is just push out loads of crap because something will stick potentially. Yeah, yeah. No, so that was the kind of. So I think they, that's how it ended up that way. And of course, now we're you know as we've done this podcast, it's become more and more and more obvious that that is exactly yeah. how the industry was working, as an industry would. You know, it manufactures things on mass. So that was the industry. Absolutely. Um, next one, he said, "What was the, what was the first game that you played where you became aware that there were ethical issues involved?" You guys mentioned Frank Bruno, but was that the first time you started to sense the questionable ethics, or was that in retrospect? Definitely in retrospect. I don't, yeah, at, the time, at the time in the mid you know we're, we're growing up in a you know with 1985 1988 is what we've covered so far you know we're growing up in Grimsby which was and uh, you know is what it is it's a coastal it was a white coastal town it's yep. what it was and, and there was no there was no question of ethics it just didn't even yeah. enter our minds because we just never confronted with it no so we, we just lived our lives we didn't really care and I know it's, you know, you can look back at it now and go, okay, well, that's fair. But we were just, you know, I was from a council estate, we didn't have much money, blah, blah, blah. But you just, you just didn't think about those things. You just went to school no. and you just were just whatever you were. It didn't really matter. It never even occurred to me. And only when you, you are an adult, actually, and you're a bit more enlightened, and perhaps even when you've got children of your own as well. Not saying that's the only rationale for that, but, you know, when we've looked back, you realize how questionable these things are. Frank Bruno was the, was the tip of that spear in some respects, but it actually started, I think, in the advertising. Some of the game adverts that we'd looked at, um, you know, we, we, we yeah. mentioned the ones that are fun for the crapverts, but there's a lot of game adverts that we've looked at from back then. We were like, we, you know, we can't, there's nothing really valuable to dive into in terms of its crapness. They're just offensive and they just rely on offensive stereotypes. Even the later adverts that we've seen, we've seen like the, even the, to some extent, the barbarian one and, vixen that comes later where you've just got a you know, scantily clad model for no reason yeah, yeah. stuff like that no it's, and the, it, it uh, starts I think, to feel distasteful yeah uxb you know, exploded bomb was the picture of the what yeah it's just not great but no no I, yeah so it's definitely a retrospect thing when you grow older and and times change and we change and just you know yes. and everything changed yeah. around it so you look back and you go absolutely um uh did you take part in the 8-bit wars arguments in the playground were you super loyal to any computer systems? Yeah, C64. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> damn right. C64 all the damn way. I would tell those Specky's owners that they were fools and they didn't have a decent sound chip, and that was that. Yeah. Yes, I used to record audio tapes for the Spectrum owners, and they used to do the same for me, and it was always a one, one-sided one fight. <laughs> absolutely. Um, they'd sit there with the rubber keys trying to program things in BASIC, and I would hit my button on my action replay and show them the latest demo I'd just coded, and I... How are you doing that? It's like, because that's the kind of machine I've got here. You can do that with it. Can you do that on yours? No, you can't, can you? You probably could if they'd sat down and plugged in the Kempston, Christ knows what, to make it do whatever it did. Yeah, exactly. I never liked Spectrums because they had so many bolt-on bits sticking out the back, you know. Bolt-on? Weird. Bolt-on? Bolt-on. Bolt-on. Possibly a Spectrum welcoming committee. <laughs> Shoot it out of the sky now. <laughs> well, they just did. I remember going around to my, to my mate's house who had one, and he... 
and thinking, because in the Commodore, you just plugged the joystick in. Not so much on the Spectrum, was it? It had this big interface thing sticking out the back and you had to plug your yeah. thing into that. And it all looked a bit fraught and a bit wibbly wobbly and a bit, if you touched it, it would like bend and you're like, oh, I don't, looks yeah. a bit flimsy that, but you know, it is yeah. what it is. I, I, and I C64 all the damn way. And I had one other friend with an Amstrad. Poor guy. You had one friend with an Amstrad. I knew someone who had an Auric Atmos. God help oh, us. God help um, us. And then, of course, at school, we were all, for a while, it was all BBC micros. We had pet computers, yeah. actually. Commodore Pets, originally, which is amazing was, when I think yeah, about pets, it. Yeah, Pets, yeah. And then we, they, they got changed to Commodore, to Commodore, to BBC Model Bs uh, en masse. And I remember having a massive stand-up argument with the computer teacher about why they were so crap. I mean, they're not <laughs> crap computers, but they were compared to what I was doing on the on the C64 at the so time. So you didn't just have arguments in the playground. You had arguments in the classroom. Well, I, yeah, I foolishly asked the teacher at one point to, for some advice about um, raster interrupts and non-maskable interrupts, and he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And I remember him just standing there going, it's a, imagine if someone's waving a flag. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not helping me with this problem I've got with raster time and the uh, clock cycles on this demo at all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? I just want to teach you about barcodes. <laughs> do these opcodes, is it, is it two cycles or three cycles? I remember just looking at it with this blank expression like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. just do this database. All right. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> this is an odd one. When was the first time you took a screwdriver to your computer system <laughs> to fix it? And did it end well? I don't think I ever did. I never took I a... did. <laughs> For what? I changed the LED light on my Commodore 64 to a green LED light. Oh, did it end well? the red one. It, yeah, it worked. I mean, it was not particularly, not a mod really, more than a fix. The only fix I had to apply was when I had to smack my power pack with a broom handle <laughs> <laughs> for reasons unknown, because it would apparently just switch itself off, which was fucking annoying. Yeah, the, the, I had the brown one with the, the fuse at the back, and sometimes you had to take it out and put it back in to get it working again. Because <laughs> um, there was this, there was a... You could touch a couple of connections at the back, couldn't you, to reset it? As a, yeah, yeah. You could uh, if you were but, daring, yeah. If you but if you touched the wrong one, it'd just blow it up, wouldn't it? it just Yeah, if you touched <laughs> the wrong things, yeah, you could you could blow a fuse, I think, inside yeah. the machine. Yeah. Anyway, no. So no, no, I never did that. Uh did you guys ever try the yeah, the paperclip reset back on the hack on your C sixty four? How did that go? No, I never no, did. No. I never did because I had a action replay and oh I, I actually had an expert cartridge first and then i got an action replay yeah. cartridge so these things were never an issue for me to do that yeah no and i wasn't really interested so no didn't really you, do did, that just as an aside did you have a tape copy system thing for the commodore 64 backup board was it you yeah was yeah. it you that had one of them I yeah, had a backup board, yeah. yeah two weeks yeah. two weeks paper money that was yeah they were brilliant little two devices then. you plug you plug two data sets into them didn't you yeah, to yeah, yeah basically we plugged that yeah. into the c64 and it had two two connections two. you plug one into yeah, it, yeah, you, and you press play on yeah, one yeah. and play and record on the other yeah Brilliant yeah, little perfect. device. What a cool device that is, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, David Herdwright asks, you've covered some examples where Zap's rating was too high or too low. What's the worst example you've seen thus far? Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, it is. Depends too what high. you mean by too low. If, you, get... if, if, it's a, if it's a high game that should have got higher, there's been a few of those. Well, like well, games well, that so, got eight, well, 80s when it should have been 90s. But... Well, I, I would argue that, what was the one we said? Oh, the train. Yeah, the train should have been a gold medal. Should have been, definitely, all, all day long. Hands and down, I think, gold medal. Um, pirates, maybe, as well, because I don't think they yeah, knew what I they got had. Yeah, they've got 60-odd percent. 60-odd huh? percent, yeah. But the train, definitely. Too high, and I know you're not going to like this, but you can probably see this coming. It's mercenary. Yeah, but 98 98%? 98%? 98%, nah. Too high, that. Way too high. I get it, but it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> what did the elite get? Did they do ratings, then? Yeah, yeah, it was, 90, it was a gold medal, wasn't it? Yeah, so, so as well. again, another one. Um, 
Other any, game actually, don't... anything, any of those flight simulators, I think they've all got a little bit too high. In my yeah, book, Project, but... Project Stealth. You were asking earlier, earlier on tonight when we were recording, what was the last gold medal before this one? It's Project Stealth Fighter. Yeah, that should have been a gold medal. But well, that was 96%, wasn't it, mysteriously? Bunship? Nope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, they'll but, stop my cup of tea then, maybe. But, uh, but too, yeah, too low. Um, yeah, train, pirates, probably. That should be up higher. Um, Exploding Fist should have got a gold medal. Wade Exploding Fist should have been a gold medal. Revolution. IK Plus one. should have got a higher grade than it did. It got 80 something percent. Uh, did it? I thought it got a Sizzler. No, it was a, it was up, it was upper 80s, wasn't it? But it oh. should have been in the 90s. Yeah, easy. Maybe, yeah. Um, um, Mark Fletcher asks, are any of you still waiting for Football Manager to load? <laughs> I yes. never started to load it in the first place because it was never my cup of tea. That, I, I, tell you. I am. I've got two two uh, Commodores on the go. One I'm waiting for <laughs> Football Manager to load. The other is Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> still bloody loading that. Still loading. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dennis V asks, I'm certain this has been asked before and I think I heard Ultimate 1541 mentioned at a point, but anyway, how do you guys play C64 games these days? Real hardware, PGA, mix, or software emulation? Vice. I just, yeah, I, I just I, use Vice. I, I did have a real 64 and it didn't live very long, which <laughs> apparently is, is a common curse with them. I got one off eBay yeah. and it was, it switched on a couple of times and then it just stopped. I think just these chipsets on them are just, and they've been around in someone's loft for however long. They just don't last well and they need to be reseated and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. I just didn't have the money all the time to do that. I got one of those C64 Maxes, which I use now and again, um, yeah. but it's no different really to plugging in a Vice emulator really, is it? And, and and that gives me actually more freedom to put on whichever screen I want. Yeah. I can plug the joystick in. The joystick from it has actually been the thing that's been the most useful, the USB Competition Pro that comes with that. Yeah, because yeah, I can yeah. just plug that into the plug that directly into my system. I'm on. I use Mac for everything, so you know I don't have you know because Vice is really engineered for PC users. I think if I it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just use Vice and a small uh, sort of eight bit eight bit dough. And you can see that Nes pad. Yeah, little Nes pad. Why don't you use your little joystick? Why is that? Uh, it's at work. I don't know. I use that. I use that little thing at work. But I, I just have this hooked up to my PC, and it's yeah, Bluetooth. I don't have any. I don't have any uh, USB ports free. Ah, uh, fair enough. So uh, that's that's Bluetooth. That's what I use anyway, and that that offers me the greatest flexibility I've found with yeah. all of the different I versions do, of Vice and everything else. I do hook it up if I'm noticing like some lag, or if I, you know, sometimes say, "Is this laggy?" And when we're saying about, "Oh, I'm trying to press fine, it's not happening," I will shove something in USB and hook it up wired. Just to check it. Yeah. Usually it doesn't make any difference. It's usually bad programming. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, David Hernwright asks, who would win in a clash between a Cylon and a Cyberman? <laughs> Cylon. A Cylon, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cylon are way better. Way better. Yeah. Especially the more They're made of metal. Ones. They just don't wear sort of, you know, pleather suits <laughs> that are just spray, <laughs> spray painted grey <laughs> with uh, fairy liquid bottles on their heads. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, and you don't doubt if you don't doubt me. Look, go back if you go. Oh, just roll the, the time r- clock back. Not the thingy on raid or whatever it is. You're gonna no, no, just go, yeah, just go back in early Cyberman versus early Cylon. Early Cylons look like Cylons in Battle of the Galactica. Early Cybermen look like guys with snoods on, wearing a fairy <laughs> spray painted fairy liquid bottle on the red with a black ring for a mouth. And they're also stupid when they're faced with someone that will just kill them like that. Is it the Rascal, Rascal. on Raider? Oh, no. These ones predate that. They've got mining lamps on the reds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go, yes, this is the Doctor. Yes. <laughs> like that. Speak like that. Really funny. Oh, no. 
Um, <laughs> Dennis B asks, anyone have any idea why, when, the default of Joyport changed from port one, mostly older games, to port two? Yeah, we looked into that, didn't we? And it I was th- um, it was to do with the keyboard. It's to do with the way that the Commodore detects the, the keyboard in port one. Yeah. Um, you need to switch that off. Um, and so at least port two is better because constantly checking for keys and having your game optimized is not a good thing. Yeah, and port, um, port one would uh, thingy over to control two, one, and whatever's in the top left corner, break, whatever it was. I can't remember what's in the top left yeah, corner. Yeah, it's essentially it's it's, it operates through the key, it essentially operates through the keyboard. So you're constantly yeah. checking for a keyboard input all the time. Well, you don't need to do that on port two. So why would you use it? Yeah, it's exactly. Hassle. There you go. you go back in time for a donut, AD? Of course I would. Then I could stop that bloody Brian Blood Act from... Hang on, hang on. Did you say a donut? Yep, because that's what Tara does in our sponsor's book, Back in Time for a Donut, set in the land down under. She goes back in time with everything she could do just for a donut. Well, that and to stop her sister, the Prime Minister, from destroying Australia's democracy. Oh, wow. Well, fair enough then. But there's no mention of going back in time, like, to stop giant pigeons from coming about or anything like that? No, but she does want to put things right, you know, fix the past to fix the future and all that hmm so that's back in time for a donut by david hearn available at amazon or book depository also available everywhere as an audio book good lord at least she's not going back in time to make us play elite again no no dizzo no lave no dizzo no lave lizzo to dave it could be lizzo to dave anyway my david hearn's book it's very good yes i agree with that Um, David Hernwright asks, do you think you'll ever do a Zap Back special reviewing the games you haven't covered? Not just the dog eggs, but classics like Jack Attack, <laughs> Jupiter Lander, Radar, Rat Race, and Mercenary the Second City. Surely the Mayor of Targ will get a free trip and chippy tea on arrival. Don't think we're ever going to look at Mercenary the Second City, are we? No, I didn't are like we? the first one. No, really? we're not going to do that. Oh. We have got plans. We, there are some... Uh, it's about 30 games, isn't there? There's about 30... Yeah, it's about 30 games, I think, we didn't look at for the, about the first three issues, three, four issues of Zap, where we were just picking and choosing some before we hit everything. So we are going to hit them, and we are going to look at them at some point, probably in a sort of rapid-fire way, as we used to yeah, do them yeah. back then, rather than the sort of in-depth one we do them now. So it'll just be a case of looking at them, having a quick... Thing, a bit like we did the C16 special, that way. Yeah, so it'll be a quick-fire one. Um, as for some earlier stuff, um, we may do... I mean, we obviously did our episode zeros where we looked at some of the classics, but there's couple that we, we could do an of, episode minus one we could do yeah there's a couple that i mean we never looked at paul wokes's um encounter that's one i would like yeah, to go and have should, a look we at we should go and have a look at that but i think Depends. that's coming up on a budget re-release so yeah, i think right. a lot of these classics like bruce lee is coming up on a budget re-release yeah. Yeah. so i think a lot of these early ones will probably hit somewhere on a budget re-release perhaps so We'll wait well, and see. But if there's anything you do want us to desperately look at, obviously, you know, we can probably fit them in somewhere. Uh, David Hearn again asks, what modern thing, any anything, example, music, a game, NFTs, Insta influences, hug therapists, don't you get and don't want to get? NFTs, Insta influences, and hug therapists. <laughs> there's your answer. What are they? I know what NFTs well, are. Insta influences. Obviously, I know what they are, but I, I don't get it. I do, no, but I don't. don't want to get it. Um, I don't like the the idea of cryptocurrency at all. I don't no. like other weird derivative acronymic crazy things that come off it, like NFTs. And I don't get it. 
I don't know. There's something, if someone puts a pound coin in my hand, its origins don't necessarily bother me that much. I just, I don't really question its legitimacy. I've got a pound in my hand. I don't know about this Bitcoin stuff. I don't, I don't dig it out. People have been trying to hard sell me that kind of crap for ages. And someone was trying to tell me the benefits of having a Revolut. I don't know (laughs) what that is. And I don't want to know. No, Um, I don't. No. I also don't get and don't like, um, we get a lot of these emails, um, SEO, SEO optimization. Oh, bloody search engine optimization. Yeah, it's like, yeah. we can I, optimize I, you. I, we like your look at your website, but you're not really rated on Google. I mean, it's like, we don't care. Yeah. No, there's, <laughs> let's just expel the myth. There's no magic to it, folks. Just make your website about the thing you're talking about and use those words. There you go. I've let you in on the secrets like that bloody stupid book, The Secret. <laughs> the I've secret. just told you the secret. It's been told between Egyptians and Mayans for years. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. I tell you what. I tell you what. Just on influences. No, I don't get them. I was on holiday recently, and I was in a place that was surrounded. There was so many influencers everywhere. All they seem to be doing is taking perpetually taking photographs and images and videos of each other yeah. doing really weird things. There was two women um, in this particular. I was in like a um, like a, a spa type thing for an easier description. There was just two women. One was half getting out the pool, and the other one was videoing her doing it. And they were doing this for hours. <laughs> And then taking pictures of each other, just walking around. And that was it. And then, they, I mean, they, that way they weren't alone. There was a whole bunch of them in this particular place. It was kind of a new place that had recently opened. So I guess that's why they were all there. Just weird. that I just couldn't get my head around it. So I just photobombed them. So somewhere around the world, <laughs> on loads and loads of influences backgrounds, there's me going, hello. <laughs> I got about 40. I, took it, we, I was playing a game with, with my wife who was there at the time. She was siding in the shadows because she didn't like that, that kind of thing. She's like, oh, don't get involved. I'm like, no, nah, I'm... I'm just going to be in the background, just doing my thing. So that, yeah, there is a very, you know, irate, bald-looking northerner in about 40 top influencers background images from some fancy pants spa that they were all teaming around like wasps. Yeah, so, I mean, look it's, out it, for me. It is. It, I mean, it's it's it would be quite easy to answer this question and just get into sort of old man shouts at cloud. Um, yeah, to think. And, and I agree. But one thing I would, I would I would argue is, and I just don't get it is. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand a lot of YouTube. I don't understand the notion of the YouTube thumbnails, where it's just some guy looking shocked at something or whatever. They just yeah, is that what they call those? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get them. Um, But what I don't understand is this notion, and it bugs me that game. And I get it because obviously the the expensive games are expensive these days. But it's this notion that you've experienced a game rather than played it, and it's just the same. No, you haven't. You haven't played it. You've watched someone (laughs) play it. It's not the same. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but I, read, is, I was reading yeah. a really interesting article about that. Um, and it not, it's not an old man shouting at Cloud's article. It was basically saying that they're just the whole notion of creating your own content is now more important, no matter what that content is. And some of those people who do those reaction videos, such as they are, are, are like bookmarks for content. They're just, that's all they really are, is they're just ways of organizing the content into things you need to react to. But I don't know, it was, it was, it was a psychological yeah. piece. I think it was in one of the psych- psychology magazines that I periodically seem to find downstairs. I mean, there, there are so. reaction to reaction videos. Yeah, I do. I do some of them all the time. And I don't really. <laughs> so, so it's I like, I wouldn't know what I was reacting to. Reaction to so-and-so's reaction to the new trailer of Indiana Jones. Like I saw a hey. guy reacting on a video. It was on a YouTube show. It was a guy reacting to somebody drawing like an, an image. It was like drawing a picture of a pencil. It's going, and he was going, oh my God, he's drawing a line. It's a line. Oh, my, oh it's a pencil. I'm like, who watches this? And then I thought, I just did. God help me. <laughs> you did. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I then bleached my eyes. And we all I know that the best eyes. reaction video on YouTube is the four second video of the dog reacting to the fart. <laughs> 
Yes, we'll post that video. Do you know, I've seen that video grow so much. I remember when it had like 20 views. Now it's got over a million. Yeah, and fair fair play. It's just four seconds of your life that you'll, you'll want to watch my over and over again. Go, you could YouTube it, my dog's reaction too far. You can't, it's just four seconds long. <laughs> it's the fact that there's the dog's looking one way and then suddenly it's looking another and there's no in-between frames. It was really weird. The and dog's, it looks really disgruntled. Like, the, dog's, the dog's head moves just like faster than you can possibly do anything. One of the greatest YouTube videos of all time. Man. Absolutely. That and um, uh, the hand, that hand thing. Yeah, yeah, doing the hand thing. Yeah, that's a very yeah. weird one. But that's Chasing weird, but it's John, creative. Yeah. I don't mind creative weird stuff. But it's I, just a hey, nod. Yeah, that one. It's just a nod. <laughs> Very Which, strange. Uh, Very strange. Um, AL82 Retro asks, how long does it take you, Zusha, to write, concoct the leading sections describing the content <laughs> of the episode, and are they always done in a single take? And short answer, it doesn't take me very long, and they're always done in a single take. There you go. Um, he also asked, looking back, was there another computer or console that you wish you owned, perhaps in preference to the C64? No, no. Not, not, not in preference at not that at time. Not at that no. time, no. There was yeah, nothing no. I envied at I all. I considered it was the best home computer in the world. It was. I think I, I felt like I had the best thing. Yeah, I did as well. I think, I, may, I mean, looking back now, probably um, maybe the Atari 800 XL was probably a better computer out at the time, a bit faster and did some stuff. Yeah, you know, a little bit better. I think some of the games I liked, but back in that we they just weren't a thing in the UK really. No, so we, we weren't aware of it. Yeah, it just wasn't wasn't something nope. we were aware of. So there was nothing I looked at and went, yeah. You know, why would I looked at like rubber key nightmare that was the Spectrum? You know, and, I and never even got that. into consoles for ages for years. I mean, really, that really up to you know Xbox 360 was where I started to buy games for them. I didn't have them. I knew I had friends that had them rented some sometimes, but I never look back at the C64 area with anything other than C64 eyes, I'm afraid. Yeah, no. Um, Dr. Goggles asks, something that's been bugging me for a while, what game is the little snippet of outro music from that you use after the last game is reviewed? I feel like I know it, but can't pinpoint it. I'll probably kick myself when I find out. Which, which... <laughs> that's from, uh, it's the uh, Monty on the Run. It's from Monty on the Run. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, yeah it's, the, it's, it's the death. It's the end of the game. It's game over music, isn't it? Yeah. It's game over music for Monty on the Run. Yeah. Uh, AL1, ALH2, sorry, Retro asks, having listened to the podcast for a while, I gather myself, so up to the past, and Zusha, Graham, uh, teach, have taught game design. Ever thought about doing an episode about that in more detail? I'd be really interested to learn more exactly about how you structure the courses, what you teach, and whether you include the history of old machines like the C64 and Amiga in the course material. <laughs> it's not something I've ever thought of doing a podcast or doing an episode on. I don't know. I don't know what we'd actually do. I think... No, uh, to me, it's more of a thing to talk about, really. I mean, I, I did teach. I don't anymore. You do teach, I suppose. I do. So. I still do. So. Um, what do we do? How do you structure coaches? I mean, obviously, today it's all... I mean, game design is what I teach. So it's built around engine learning engine. So unreal and unity and things like that. Um, do I sneak in stuff? Of course I do. Um, it usually gets blank eyed glassy stares, um, from the yep. students when I mention sort of old games, but, um, yep. you know, they're just like, uh, what, what's that? I don't understand that. Don't get it. It's like games didn't start well, 10 years ago, like, or, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, so you can't, you have to sort of, you know, you got to play to your audience a bit. These are 18 to 21 year olds for the teacher degree level. And you can't be talking about whiz ball because they just nope. don't get it. They just do not understand. Just doesn't nope. compute. Um, so, yeah, so, and they just have no use for understanding the history of old machines. So just, there's a bit of history, sort of, this is where we got from where to A to B, but they're not bothered, a lot of them. That is what it is. Um, as for thinking, I think we, 
Um, I think doing an episode in more detail, I'd like to think that we, I think it comes across in some of our, in our sort of reviews and uh, mm. observations and analysis of games about how the design is good or bad or could have been better. So I think there's elements yeah. of that that creep in. And I think, you know, hopefully it shows that we, you know, understand that and, you know, yeah. I that's mean, where it comes in. Back, back, you know, many moons ago when I was teaching some of this, I did introduce... We had a we had a module called the history of games, the games industry, or the history of games, and you did some of that. We did cover with it's 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 the trouble is contextually impossible for like you say for students to understand what you're going on about really. So you actually spend half the time trying to explain what you're talking about before you even get to the point where you're talking about games and stuff like that. Yeah, it's more of a launch point for ideas. I tended to think, and I, I my main mission when teaching those things was to get the students out of the mindset that the games industry began and ended in America with, with, you know, with certain consoles and with, you know, the Nintendos and with the mm. Segas and with the later, you know, Microsofts and Sony's and that there was an entire wing of the games industry that wasn't reliant on, you know, lots of those sort of things. But in actuality, it's a bit of a folly exercise because they're just, they're, they're almost paying you lip service. They're not really interested in it. They're certainly not going to do anything reading on it and they don't get what you're talking about, even when you show them. And we used to do, encourage them to do retro remakes at one point, and sometimes they got it. More often than not, you just ended up with a bit of a shell of a game. Um, mm. It's it's no, it's not you. You know, at a certain point, you realise you're not being fair to them because this yes. is not their era. It's not their era at all. It's, it has no bearing on them. They don't understand what you're talking about. Yes, coding for those early C64 and stuff in those games is an impressive thing to understand machine code. But it absolutely, you know, like everything, it's evolved so much now, it's, it's irrelevant. Mm. Now, yeah, yeah. It's pointing out the nuances of machine code assembler to someone that can code in really well in Unity is, is like, they're, just, they're, they're in a different world. You're different planetary universes. Um, and it's a nice it's a nice thing to have as a knowledge, um, but it has no purpose in there other than retro reverie to look yeah. back and go, wow, they are, some of those games are really cool, you know, in that retro kind of way. And you're like, well, remember, for some of us, it wasn't retro because we were there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David Herdwright asks, what's the most memorable concert you've been to and why was it so? It's an interesting question, actually. Um, uh, Adamant was interesting when I went to see Adamant. Uh, yeah. I saw a man at Birmingham back just well a few years ago now with, with my wife. That was quite interesting. But about 2017, uh, we went there, I think. Uh, Two hours. He was really good, actually. Really good. Historically, uh, ministry was good. Frontline Assembly were amazing when I saw them. That was because I really wanted to see them. And that was... A, oh, well, yeah, I won't be really there, You did, yeah, because we saw Cubanate, Sheep on Drugs. Yes. And Frontline yeah, Assembly at the same gig, which was really good. Mm. Um I went to see Diantford. It wasn't, and that was probably one of the most memorable for the wrong reasons because it was so disappointing. I really wanted that to be good, but um, it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. uh, I mean, my first one was good. It was Alice Cooper, big stage show. Yeah. That was quite a good one. Um, be quite good. The, the Rush gigs that I've been to, they were good. Yeah. You see uh, Satriani, didn't you? But that was good. I did see Satriani. Yes, it was. It was. It was okay. It was on the Extremist tour. It was just yeah. a lot of noodling. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> there was a he's lot of noodling. Um, Mega City Four. I went to see them a couple of times. The first time I saw them was really, really good. I think it was at Derby Uni actually. Um, they were really, really good. That was, uh, that was really good. The Mission. I've seen them a couple of times. All about Eve. Saw a few bands, but yeah, probably the Rush ones, I guess. You saw a thingy, didn't you? Um, really early on in their careers. Oh, Green Day. Dookie. Green yeah, Day, yeah. Sp- actually, yeah. I suppose if it's the weirdest ones I've seen, then it probably yeah. Green Day. I saw them in a pub in Wigan. Um, yeah. It was oh. they'd had Kaplunka Thirty Nine Smooth Out, which was I think the f- first EP and the first album. 
and they were tour well they were doing some dates and we went there and saw them and they would they had dookie coming out soonish so they played basket case long view it was like the first time they were playing them over in the uk yeah, the, the, the album that broke them basically you know made them massive so yeah that was interesting i suppose i suppose that would be it really yeah i was seeing rush a couple of times with you which was really good mm. i think the second time more memorable because i think it was just it was like an epic wasn't it the second time i mean the first time was amazing that was the first time i'd ever seen them do a medley proper medley rush when they do that sort of um, yeah encore yeah. medley which was mind-blowingly good yeah and yeah, then that the was... second time it was really good i still remember seeing knights of ebb believe it or not in a tiny tiny nightclub in derby um which was called the warehouse and there was only about 90 people in the whole place and they literally blew the speakers to pieces during that gig <laughs> it was quite spectacular and then afterwards they did a night there called vogue minogue which was like a oh there was two floors to the warehouse there was obviously the warehouse part and there was an upstairs bit and that was the upstairs bit and i remember dancing on the dance floor with the guys from knights rep to cali minogue because they, they, <laughs> oh, they, they destroyed the speaker so the gig had to stop so they were like, right, we're going upstairs. Anyone want a beer? So we did. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd also just want to throw in as well the um, 8-Bit Symphony. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, was, something, that, was, that was something memorable. That was memorable. pretty impressive, I have to say. That, was, that really was something that really, memorable. Yeah, it was good. Um, Dr. Goebbels asked, what happened to Flaky Bits 1.0? <laughs> <laughs> it was Graham's bedroom. He moved out. <laughs> it was my bedroom. I, mean, I don't live there anymore, yeah. <laughs> Flake, Flaky Bits Studio is a, is a joke uh, that, because... <laughs> It, everything that we produced at a certain point, whether it was music, whether it was video, whatever it was, was produced. And we did a, a, um, a magazine as well, was produced in my bedroom at a certain point. And, and so we, when we put credits on these things, we just credited to, well, I did, credited to Flaky Bits Studio. And then obviously when I've moved house, obviously a few times since then and grown up as it were, um, when we decided to redo this um, as a joke, as a joke with Adrian, that's why yeah. I put Flicky Bits 2.0 Studio on just as a, so it's a bit of an in-joke, well, it's an in-joke, but it was just a, a joke that I knew would make Adrian laugh when he when he heard it. It did, yeah, <laughs> Flicky Bits 2.0. But yeah, Flicky Bits 1.0, it was just your bedroom. It was, yeah, and Flicky Bits is what it was full of, let me tell you, it was just <laughs> yeah. dirty, grufty stinkhole, so. Especially after I'd been in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Etienne asks, are you aware that when converted to euros, your patrons pay six six six? Coincident to joke, or are you part of a satanic cult? All three, all three. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of column well, A. Yeah, why can't it be all three? <laughs> um, it is coincidence. It's fluctuating, fluctuating uh, currency scales. Yep. Could be anything. Uh, um, David and writer asks, Lave or Dizzo? <laughs> neither that's a good question neither neither um, I'd, I'd rather if be i could avoid in... it yeah, absolutely tag surely so just because just that trade route is boring <laughs> no, you, you, it's really you boring. don't take anything exciting on that trade route ever no. No, even if you pick up slaves you're not gonna have them for long because the police just get you immediately so yeah stupid yeah Andy Marshall, now that you have played more games on the c64 than any mere mortal being on earth what percentage of games are crap <laughs> More importantly, can you give a top five reasons for why they are crap? No playtesting, experienced coders, etc. I would say about ninety percent. <laughs> I, I would be higher. I would say probably ninety-five percent. Yeah, I mean, we've, maybe we've, nine, we've, nine, yeah, maybe ninety. Maybe I mean, we must be approaching a thousand. We're getting towards a thousand games now. Probably eight, nine hundred yeah. were played. Yeah. So if you think about ninety percent, that would be around about eight hundred. Eight hundred games would be rubbish or crap. That's probably about right. <laughs> it's yeah, not far off that. that, is it? Yeah, it's um, not. Top five reasons. Uh, yeah, no playtesting, experienced coders. 
just shovelware, just just shit shoved out. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put inexperienced coders in there um, because I think it's at some uh, point expo- everyone's an experienced. Experience. I think exploited, exploited, yeah, exploited inexperienced coders. coders. I think um, would be the word. No playtesting and sometimes no game design yes. is a problem. Um, so those, are, but more of the reasons why they're crap is actually down to the publishers because yeah. they're they have no quality control whatsoever. They are out to rinse people's money. Yeah, and that's been proven more and more and more as we've gone into it. And there's, there's some there's some games you know there is not you know there's no there's no there's no way in hell that anybody could have ever looked at that and gone yeah that's passable put no, it on a, slap it on a disc put it out there's a couple we played you know tonight well not tonight but tonight's podcast we just did um and it's just no lee enfield it's just no way in hell i can't i no. can't even i can't even understand the thought process where someone looked at that and went that's good enough to press on a disc or whatever and put on a tape and try and sell it's just not so <laughs> i don't know it's just greedy publishers mostly yeah a little there's a little bit of all sorts there's also there's if I was to think of a common rationale some I think probably proper they didn't have play testers really it wasn't just wasn't a thing so there's a little bit of that but this it's the QA control in publishing and publishers yeah. make wanting to make money that's where the most I open the most blame because in some instances things like outrun you've got massively exploited people they're just, they're just taking people to one side and, and flashing money at them and rip and really you know Knowing that the games they're putting out aren't really that good, um, and just taking them, taking the money off them, and, and it's not nice to see that. And you hear later about their shoddy experience. I mean, even recently, with the, the experience the guy had with Packland and the description of the guy that yeah, developed yeah. that, and you realise how how traumatic some of their experiences are, and how how much on goodwill these things existed. And the guy didn't get paid for two months for goodness sake. And honestly, yeah. well, you, you think good. about you know Ocean and Whizball and Sensible Sock software and yeah. how, how much they got making any money that. from that yeah yeah absolutely just dreadful. so yeah the the blame lies basically in the greedy middlemen by the looks of it that's what it yep. seems to be main, mainly turning out to be and so all these sort of it there's an about me that you know reads these books on certain software houses and then we play the games that these certain software houses put out and mm. it, the two just don't line up the, the no and and I think that's you know you're painting yourself into a certain way to be a certain thing in a certain book, and it's like oh okay, and then you play the games, you go hang on a minute, no. Yeah, that's actually one thing that has surprised me massively is that I some of the companies I won't name them, but some of the companies no, that not. I held in very high regard have proven themselves to be a lot worse than I ever thought they could possibly be, and some of the companies that have uh, produced seem to be a lot more prudent about things. Um, Case in point, Thalamus, as much as there's all sorts of controversy about who owned what and who did what, their output is consistently quite good, if not very good. Yeah, yeah. So whereas you look at some of the other companies and it's it's gone from being reasonably okay to more often than not, it's more missed than hit. Um, and that, I think that's a problem. Lots of overuse of the same engines as well. And I don't know, there's all sorts of issues there, isn't there? But some of these companies need a good hard look at themselves or needed a good long hard look at themselves. <laughs> they did, yeah, 30, 40 years ago, yeah. Um, Andy Marsh asks, is Marty Pello a nectron? <laughs> yes. He's a knee yeah, neck. Straight. He's a knee neck tron. Yes, he is. And don't mess with him because he can he can crush your windpipe with his knee neck. Absolutely. He's a wide he's a wide what's it swallower. <laughs> <laughs> what he is <laughs> he is um that sounds like that little moment in that um, <laughs> brass eye episode is a bunty man 
He's <laughs> <It's> a chimney <laughs> bottler. He is. He's actually, um, he's Diana from V when she swallows yes. that. Oh, that moment when she swallows that, that, that uh, hamster or whatever. Hamster or rat, or rat or whatever. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, Mac Fletcher says, favorite zap cover, go. I have a choice between two spring to mind. I really like the one for um, the sort of nuclear blast with the melting soldier oh, really early issue on two the yeah, Europe. which is an amazingly gruesome cover it's delightful but it's gruesome and i also really like the one with the woman on the front for um leaderboard where she's it's got the reflection of the golf in her glasses but she's licking a massive lollipop it's really overly suggestive <laughs> yeah true. just the cheeking the pure cheekiness of it um there's the ones that spring to mind straight off the bat without looking at them all those are the ones that just immediately shot in my mind right yeah here. um i like the green beret one yeah, with the angry teeth guy. Yeah, that's good. Um, the Paradroid and the Eidolon, probably the other couple I really like. The, the image out of all of those that sticks in my mind for merely making me laugh out loud and even did when I really looked at it was that Darth Vader with his triangle upside down. <laughs> Still makes me laugh to this day. Yeah. <laughs> happy happy <laughs> Vader. Really happy. Happy, happy Vader. Vader, yeah. Happy Vader. Um, but I'll tell you what, it isn't, and that's the uh, Packland one. No, that's possibly the least favourite. Yeah. Um, Andy Marsh asks, was the extended from from Fairground Attractions perfect, the vocal catalyst that eventually evolved Flavor Flav into Tweaky Dr. Theopolis, his robot, as we talked about earlier on tonight's episode? Um, yes, probably. Why yeah, not? It's exactly how it happened. That's exactly. The, the yeah. clock became sentient and he slowly turned into a silver robot. Exactly. The it evolution of Flavor Flav is, uh, yeah, <laughs> takes long. And then book turns up. Um, David Hearn writer says, what is your favorite Halloween game and why is it Friday the 13th? It isn't. It's not. Are we talking like <laughs> C64? Because uh, if it's C64, if I had to pick one horror game, it'd probably be Forbidden Forest. My favorite horror game. But if it's horror game in general. Yeah. I don't know. C64 game, probably Cauldron 2. Um, I like the thematic of that, even though it's rock hard. Yeah. Just, it feels kind of Halloween-y. I think if I, and things, I guess. If I was going to pick two, uh, there would be Silent Hill 2. Uh, if, you know, if, we're, if we're going away from the C64. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Silent Hill 2 and Condemned. Yeah, I'd go for Condemned. I think that's one of the creepiest games. That and I think Zombie U has a creepiness. Yeah, Zombie U is pretty Wii good U. as well. Yeah, yeah. Because that's just the way that guy's talking to you over the headset thing. It's you know quite bleak that game, but yeah. um, but uh, definitely condemned. That game's terrifying. Yeah, it is. not many games are like that either. It, it really does stick out. That it's yeah. a genuinely it's a Sega game, isn't it? It's a genuinely creepy game. That yeah, is. well, it's Monolith. Monolith developed it. So Monolith who did Fear and No One Yeah, because well, Fear like that. was good. The first Fear game was pretty good as well. Fear Two's that good was... as well. Fear Three, not yeah. so much. No, not as much. Um, but yeah, so yeah. if it's C64, I mean, the C64 struggles to do horror. I mean, because it's 8-bit atmosphere, it's where horror lies. Yeah. So, but, you know, I think Forbidden Forest has the, would be. The, yeah, it's creepy-ish, it. I suppose. Um, and that's probably one of the few. But um, yeah, apart from that, Silent Hill 2, because I think Silent Hill 2 is a masterpiece. Um, and then Condemned. Resident Evil games I love, but I don't find them particularly scary. Seven's quite scary, actually, but because um, mm. again, it's. Do you ever play that weird demo thing that was on the PC? Yeah, I still got it. My my That's PS4, still got yeah. my PS4 still has that on it. Yeah, mine mine still got it on it. They're, that was, they, that they, was pretty creepy. They sell for quite a lot with those on it. Really? Yeah, because oh, you can't get you can't it get it anymore. Wow, I've still got it on mine. Yeah, I've still got it on mine. Never delete it. It's my because no, it you can't get it anywhere. again. Um, 
Okay, Dr. Goggles says, Zuzio, was your forum name inspired by the character from the 1982 film, The Sword and the Sorcerer? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, that's the... It's got one S in the film, so it's Zuzia of Delos in the Zuzia. film. Um, but I put the extra S in, and then that is actually my name. That's my middle name. So. It is, isn't it? Yeah, you changed it by Depole, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, Andy Marsh asks, was Mandroid created in the Zen room? I never <laughs> want to think where Mandroid was created, if I'm perfectly no. honest. <laughs> But if that, if it was going to be created anyway, it probably would be there. It probably would be, yeah. Horror, <laughs> horror, <laughs> horror, the horror. Horror of that game. Uh. Hey, Graham, here's a shout-out for one of our sponsors' books, The Case of the Notorious Roboticist. Why is she notorious anyway, this Isadora? It's nothing to do with that Duran Duran song, is it? It's even worse, Graham. She's programming bias into AI, and that does not spell good news for men in this cyberpunk dystopian noir thriller. Okay, so what's going to stop her then? Moroz. He's a nice guy. Bit of a bumbling fool, it's true, but he's got a heart of gold, gold, always believe in your soul. Gold. Okay, uh, so not like Johnny Hates Jazz then. Oh, no, 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 thank God, no, no. When Isadora is charged with murder, which she refutes, as she thought it was her own android, she asks Moros to help her. But should he? And if he does, what will it cost him? Hmm, intriguing. Grab the case of the notorious roboticist by David Hearn from Amazon or Book Depository, available everywhere as an audiobook too. And it even features a roboticist named Elvin too. Interesting, hmm? Um, Mac Fletcher asks, have we considered adding our own percentage ratings to the games you've reviewed? Would be an interesting comparison. I think we we, we do that, so don't we? Do, we? we do gen- well, we generally indicate whether we think it's too low or too high. I, 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 I don't know that it would be, I don't know, because it'd be, I don't know if I could, because we'd have to use their rating scheme as well to do, be able to be apples for apples comparison. Yeah. So I think I just tend to be more critical of what they rated which is an indication of where I would rate it, I think. And I it's, often say, no, I'd give it more in the 80s or 90s. And stuff like yeah, that, so. and, and and as I've sort of gone through, I mean, we, we say it's high or low, I would give it this or that sort of thing. I'm, I'm more of an opinion that it's what you should, you should get, whether we like it from the tone or not. I don't think it needs a number. I, yeah, I don't, I'm, yeah. not a big, I'm not a big review score like And we've said before now, give it zero as well, so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, Andy Marsh says, have we come across any specific C128 games in any of the issues? Like a 128K version of a particular game, the way the Specky 128K was kicked for, or has there even been any mention of the C128? Uh, there was Kickstart. There was that Kickstart, wasn't there? Kickstart, there was um, Last the, V8. Was Last V8 a C128? Yeah, that was a special C128 version. That and there was that. Didn't prove it. No, and there was that crappy. Uh, we can't find any of these C128 actual versions. ROMs have been you know, impossible to find. Yeah, there's that airport the, game that the we recently did. Recently, with it, what was it called? Not Tanium. It was Yeah, it was a really weird name. It was like um, we th- it was almost really like a autobiography of some politician. <laughs> yeah, that was the one. But, but that was the one. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the game now. But there was a C128 version of that, which. Just, Put more animations in, I think. Yeah, but no, we've not really come across many. I don't think. It, I don't think there was a few. I no, mean, I've, I've looked at a list, and there's quite, there's a few, but nothing that we've sort of seen. I've never seen anything that's really jumped out and really leveraged a C one to eight for its extra power either. 
Not like because the Specy 128 games that I saw, because I think it had a it had a sound chip, didn't it? The Specy 128. So yeah, you tended to find that there was better music and better stuff in it. Because um, I remember seeing um, a couple of games. One, I think one was a was it Hydrafall or Hydra something like that on it, mm. which had a Rob Hubbard soundtrack. I think on the Specy 128, and I remember seeing um, Amorite on the Specy 128, which was pretty spectacular on that. I had a lot more music and sounds and images and stuff like that, but they tended because there was going from 48k Specky with no sound chip to a Specky 1 to 8k that had a, I think, an AY chip or whatever that was in the Specky 1 to 8. I can't remember, but mm. it had a sound chip in it and a bit more, you know, so it had a bit more going about it. So, but still, had there, the was, same there was something the there was something we uh, um, that we reviewed last last month for May. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. I can't remember what it was. What was it? There was, and we. It was really quiet, and we thought, "Where's that? We should have had music or something." It might. I think it would have been um, Tanium. I think Tanium on the Tanium. one. Uh, t- yeah, Tanium on the on the. I think on the Specky One Two Eight has like music and everything. And is it? Yeah, I was looking at a YouTube version of it. Um, oh. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there was a none for that. No, I, I mean, I was just sort of looking around. Um, I think it was Tanium. Um, I don't know. I tend to I don't tend tend to crank up the one two eight emulator through Vice very often. I have to tell you, you know, once in a million years. Yeah, there's definitely. I'm definitely. I definitely think it was. There's a version. And there's of a Tanium. C64 mode on the on the C on the C one two eight. You can just turn it into a C sixty four instantly. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing we really come across. though, is there nothing? No, nothing major. Nothing. And I think there if was there a, was, we would look at them. If we if there was something that said this is dramatically different, go and have a look. Well, it's hard getting the C one two eight versions, but also as well, I think there's the there was um, that T that flight stealth mission. I think it yeah, mentions. Yeah, yeah. In, I think it mentions in the review that it runs slightly faster on the one two eight. Probably it's got a faster does. processor. But there you go. That's about it. Um, Buzzit asks, on average, how much playtime do you give a dog egg game <laughs> um, for review purposes? And have you recently thrown a joystick controller in disgust? <laughs> I give them the same amount of time as I give. Uh, well, not the same amount. I give them as much time as I can afford to give them in the sense that most of the dog egg games are shit and don't work properly anyway. And, and it's obvious so it's, from the get-go that these are crap. Yeah. So, you know, and half the time they get the real dog egg ones, they're actually fighting you to play them because they're that bad that it's not that I don't want to play them. They're preventing me from getting anywhere in them half the time. Yeah. Yeah. By being by such terrible design logic and stuff. Um, so I give them as much time as an affordance as they give me um, in order to play them. If they're a crap game, it's not that I switch it off and disgust. Although I have to say at the end of it, some of the, some of the ones that are in the low, the lower doldrums, um, including the crappy bloody Lee Enfield that we've just done. <laughs> Some of those, I switch them off in disgust after a short short amount of time, and that's after test trying to play them because there's nothing to play in them. Yeah. There's no game in there, you know. I'm just wandering around, not enjoying it, being tortured half the time with crap audio, and I just I can't I can't do that. And so, and have I thrown my controller? No, I haven't thrown a controller. Not since since I actually threw one. I had an old competition <laughs> pro years ago and threw it against the wall when I got killed playing catkiss. Um, <laughs> And smashed it to pieces. That was, that was the last time I threw a joystick controller in anger. Uh, um. I don't think I've ever thrown a controller in this. I've sl- probably slammed one down and gone, ah! um, yeah, but I've never thrown that, a controller. The, in, that in a 360 game, um, I think it was Metal Gear, not Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear other one, Metal Gear Rising. That oh, game, right. that game <laughs> nearly, nearly cost me a 360 controller. That. <laughs> it's hard, that one. Um, I don't think, um, in regards to play playtime, uh, with the dog egg ones, it's, it's sometimes, like you said, you sometimes fighting them. And what I generally will tend to do with those, um, because obviously we're playing it on Vice, so we're playing a ROM, 
I'll generally head over to CSDB and see if there's another one because I'm actually checking. I'll check, doubly check with them that they are that shit um, and that it's not a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem with the with the hack, the crack being buggered up because sometimes we have got games. We've played them, and the versions we've got, they just don't work properly or something's missing. InfraDroid was one that springs to mind. The first version of InfraDroid we had was broken, and it took a while to find a working ROM of that. And then, obviously, we got that, and so it was all working all right. That Lee Enfield one, that wasn't – the first one I got was worse than what it was because it wouldn't move. Maybe that was better. Okay. Who knows? So I had to go find a proper working one. I still don't know if it is working properly, but I watched a video, and it looked like it is, so it is. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so the dog egg ones actually can sometimes take a little bit longer because I'm actually making sure – is this really this crap? Yeah. Sometimes you've got to you know, double, double check it. Yeah. And I'm like, cause you don't want to go, Oh, you played this. And I'm like, no, we didn't. Yeah. It, it, it's really, yep. really shit. <laughs> yep. It's um, as bad as you think it is. Yeah. David Hearn writer asks, what do you think was Zap's biggest gaffe under or over? Okay. We kind of had this earlier sort of thing, but similar sort of thing. Pirates, he says in 87, number six, yeah. number two, six, six, four game, roll time eleven. It got measly 68%. And the kicks budget release got 40% in 93. That's his Commodore force Perfect. rather than Zap. Um, uh, I'm going to say merc- mercenary again. <laughs> it's way too high. Yeah, I get, I get the tech, high. but it's way too high. Um, I get pirates. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, I think it's, we've kind of answered this already, haven't we? I think it's the train. Uh, yeah, we said the, the train. The train. One. I think the train's the other one. Um, uh, Nick Bungus says, "When is the next Ask the Podcast? It's now, right, right now. Recording it right now. This right second. now. It's happening." <laughs> Dr. Goggle says, when are you going to do, what are you going to do when you got to the end of Zap 64? Would you consider doing an Amiga version, an Amiga version <laughs> of the podcast? We've talked about that. We have. I don't know. I don't, I don't I, you know, I don't know. As part of me sort of wants to explore the Amiga. Part of me realizes that this, I mean, if you thought there was a crap bunch of 64 games, there are a whole bunch of Amiga games. <laughs> and go. it's actually, fi- finding the working versions of them is actually even even more of a challenge to some extent with the Amiga ones. Cause yeah, yeah. You know, some of those copyrights still exist. Some of those licenses are still owned by people that are out there making games, and you've got to tread carefully with that. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. There are some Amiga games I'd like to explore. Um, I think, it, and I, I wonder whether they you know whether there's a format for that. I don't know. Yeah, I, d- I think if we were to do that, I don't think it would be a, as exhaustive of what we're doing here with the C64. Because I think the, the no. nature of the C64 games is a lot of them are quick. And we don't really have a set yeah, amount of time. Yeah, yeah. If it was to do Amiga games, we'd have to space our episodes out more. I like the fact that we're hitting yeah. every week. We can do sort of seven, eight, nine games in a week and do, and give them a bit of justice amongst yeah. doing full-time work, family, and everything else yeah. that goes along with that, getting the podcast mix released and everything that it yeah. entails. It's not a sort of couple of hour job. This is many hours. Yeah. Hitting the Amiga titles when you get to some of the bigger ones to do them justice, you know, uh, you know. oh, yeah can you imagine a, a single podcast episode alone you could do the you know it might be you know you could look at sort of franchises of games so you could do the um the monkey island games on the amiga for example yeah. you could do but, a, a whole series on the bitmap brothers games there's a lot but you know, the thing there's more than just a few things and they're big games and you know, the, they are big games the other thing with that is that um what i don't want and what i didn't want with this podcast and i think you you would same is that it was the thing with this is it's a warts and all look. And what I wouldn't want to do is just the Amiga games that everyone's already looked at. Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to say. That's pretty saturated. I mean, so it's just you, you could look at a sensible, lot of you could Amiga look at the content sensible games. There. You could look at Cannon Fodder. You could look at Megalomania. You could look at Sinking Monkey Island. Yeah. You could look at Moonstone Syndicate. And- Syndicate. But they've been done to death. And I don't really think I've got much mm. more to add to the conversation. So, no, you know, but who the hell's talking about? 
Lee Enfield or Tanium or or train yeah. robbers that were just looked. No, nobody really speaks about these kind of games, and that was the interesting thing about this. It was a it was something we could do, and it was also it was also something that we both grew up with. So there's there's all that tied in with yep. and the music and the film. Are we going to talk about the same things again? I don't know. It's a hard. If we did something, yeah. it would have to be a completely different format because I don't think this format yeah. would work in the way we are because we don't have that nostalgic. I mean, you you do a bit more than I do with the Amiga. I came to the Amiga a bit later, but I don't think either of us really have the nostalgic tie to those machines that we probably have with the no, C64. Um, the Amiga was very much a trading platform for me yeah, and, and, and music creation. Yeah, exactly. And I did all the stuff with it. And uh, the games were kind and, of and neither a, here nor there. publishing machine. We wrote... I mean, you know, a magazine on it. Exactly. I mean, I, I played less games on the Amiga by miles than I yeah. did on, you know, it, I played the Amiga games. Like I played PC games. They were hit and miss and now and again. Um, the, you know, Monkey Islands came along very rarely on the Amiga. There was loads of other games that came out. When I first got it, that was a slightly different story because, you know, there was Shadow of the Beast and Shadow of the Beast 2. And, well, yeah, I mean, know, at the time, kind of thing it was like, oh, look that, at the but, new shiny graphics. They're amazing. Yeah, They're exactly. And, but it, it soon but lost its wow factor. It did. And, the, you know, these games are all on two or th- some of them, two or three or four discs. In some instances, it got sort of silly with 12 discs, didn't it, later down the line? Yeah. I just don't think you'd end up with a working, a fully working version of them. And also, a lot of the Amiga games that everyone remembers being really good also came out on the Mega Drive, which was an equally comparable, I don't know, comp- you know, capable 16-bit machine yeah. that had all sorts of other stuff. And if you were going to play um, some of the Bitmap Brothers on games on Amiga, yes, they, they came out first on the Amiga, but they're just as playable on other formats. I don't know that there's much... I don't Like you say, I don't know what the angle would be, and it would take some thinking about, about that. Yeah. yeah. Take some thinking about. I don't know. What, I don't quite know it how would. you would come at that and offer anything new, like you say. Everyone's spoken about sensible soccer like a billion times. What possible conversation could we have about sensible soccer? You know, and we didn't really play a gimmick games together that much. No, no, we didn't. No, I was very much focused on the demo scene on the Amiga, totally focused on demo scene and music with a little bit of games on the side. It was it was totally different experience to what I had on the C sixty four. Yeah, and we were we were just older. When we, by the time you got your Amiga, we were like seventeen, eighteen. So yeah, we were well, we were using it for our band. I mean, we used it for the yeah, band. exactly. So it was a different. Yeah. It was a different thing for us. So I, th- I think yeah, you, you, you would lose that. One of the things that you know, yeah, uh, that thing that makes this. And like I said, the thing with this is that a lot of the C sixty four games are just simple ten minute, fifteen minute blasters. You can have a quick go on, get the feel yeah. of, and you're done and you're out. You're tricky with the Amiga, tricky. I mean, we've got loads mm. to do. We've still got loads to do. We're only halfway through the run of mags. Oh, we've got we're tons, not, tons we're not of even time, halfway yeah. through. There's ninety one zaps or variants of it, yeah. and then there's the older games we've got to look at. We maybe look at the and the newer game, ones, yeah. the games that have been released since then. So all the newer stuff, yeah. Yeah, and you know the recent resurgence time, in C sixty four games. So there's loads of space, yeah. yeah. Uh, and finally, um, what's this one? Nick Bungus says. Uh, I'm sure it's been mentioned that there's been loads of games omitted and they might go back and look at them. My question is one that's probably been asked before, but I'd like to know the history of when Adrian and Graham met and their early experiences together. I'm sure there was a band mentioned and also I'd like to know how Gary fits in. <laughs> well, Gary fits in most places because he's... <laughs> he is kind of compact, isn't he? He's compact and bijou. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Gary fits in most places. If you find him in places you don't want to find him, that's the that's the terrifying part. Um <laughs> Um, we were actually, I think I like to think of us, we were actually a unique um, collection of people at a certain time at, at school. This is how it all, you know, a certain time, certain in, in certain pattern of things happened where we sort of met through through each other in different mm. means and different methods. But 
there were commonalities. We all had home computers, whether it was C64, some of my friends had Sinclair Spectrum, some of yours had Amstrad, but we all had home computers back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all kind of nerdy-ish a little bit with our home computers, a little bit. Some of us less nerdy than others, but, and some of us more nerdy than others, but we had that. We used to go around to each other's houses, which, is, which kids don't do anymore. <laughs> no. No, but we used to go around to each other. We used to go and call for each other. Um, but we were never into the things that would generally be considered the things that would get people. So we we were never in sports teams together or anything like that. In fact, I was not sporty at all. You were well into football, as I remember. Yeah, yeah, I was in sports. I was you were quite lot. sporty. Gary a little bit, I think. I think he liked his football. I don't know mm. if he played it so much, but he did. He was into it at a certain point. I know I wasn't sporty at all. I was quite a you know, fat teenager, as it goes. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't into that. Um and I had a couple of mates that were kind of, I don't know, I don't, if you looked at those, if you put you know, sort of all of us in line, because there was about five of us that generally hung around together at the same time. Mm. There was me, you, and, and there was like the core, really, which was kind of me, you, and Gary. Yeah. Um, no, you you guys were a bit old, only a year older than me. But so, but you guys were kind of, you were already, you'd been friends for quite some time because you had been at the middle school together, right? No, no, me and Gary, but the very first day at Whitgift, it was. He, I thought. I thought for some reason no, I thought he was, he was at middle school. No, he was Willers. I was great coats. Um, ah, right. So we met. He was sat on the the um, Gary. We went into tutorial on the very first day. So we're twelve years old. I sat back left, as far away from the teachers' table as I could, um, at the front. And Gary sat at the table ne- in front of me. And I remember him turning around to me, and he goes, "He goes. Uh, I think he asked me if I had a computer. I said, "Yeah." And he went, <laughs> have you, "What have you got?" I went, "Oh, Commodore 64." He says, "Oh, so have I." And he said, "Oh, do you want to come around and play some games?" And we just, that was that. That's how it happens. That's how it happened at 12 years old. And so that's, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, that was that. Because I, I was at middle school or junior school with with Richard and Simon, who were a couple of friends. We don't often mention them in the podcast every now and again. But I was at school with them and I was actually in all of their, they were in all my classes. Uh, actually, no, more Richard than than Simon. But we were, we were sort of, because the school was kind of split into houses. There was four houses. You were in, I think, Hennage, which is within one of the houses. I think a couple of friends of mine were in Hennage. I was in Franklin, which was another one. I think Gary was in one of them, Hennage, I think. Um, so, and that's how the school kind of split the split, split. And you sort, you were in different kind of um, tutor groups, different classes to some extent. And there was some crossover. And it was those crossover moments when you sort of, you know, you, you would ask questions like, have you got a computer and stuff like that? I got to know Gary very early on, and not early on, before AD early on. So I, I've, I initially, I think I probably, I met you beforehand because we'd met at that Dungeon Dragons thing when, but I'm not sure what time period that was. Well, I was in, I was in the lower sixth, so, sixth, so I think, and you were in the fifth year, weren't you? So it was 16, yeah, yeah, 17. Yeah, so, so, so that would have been yeah, about so 89, 1980, 89 yeah, I think. 89, yeah. And, and I'd met Gary prior to that because I'd met, met Gary through a mutual friend, um, whose name was uh, Mark, um, who was NMI in S Express. The NMI in S Express was a guy called Mark. Yeah. And he was tra- he was busy trading C64 stuff as well as Gary because they were in a group together called the Gremlins at the time. Oh, yeah. With a chap I called that. Paddy. <laughs> and they'd released a couple of really crap demos, one called Brabarian, um, which you can download off CSDB. It's out there. Um, and so he was spud of the gremlins. That was Gary. Podcast friend Gary was spud of the gremlins and Mark was NMI. And they were fumbling around trying to make demos, but hopeless. And I'd bumped into Mark quite, I can't remember really how, how I'd come to know Mark. I think, I'm not sure, but I remember Mark saying, oh, you, you really got one of my mate Gary. And I'm, I can't remember how it came to be anyway. And me and my, I was friends with a guy called um, John, now Joe, but Joe. And Joe was an exceptionally clever programmer just a, just a clever guy he was really clever and i was actually we were actually trying to figure stuff out in the commodore 64 at the same time he was 
he was genuinely, genuinely still is a really clever person, really clever, mm. amazing, yeah. amazingly yeah. talented coder. Yeah, they were. Anyway, cut a long story short, um, we ended up doing a demo for S Express because they you know, they asked us if we could if we could. They showed us this bunch of raster bars and stuff on a, on a Commodore sixty four and said, "Is there any way you can do that?" So we was like, "Yeah, we can do that." So we did. We just you know we figured it out. We made them this crappy demo which you can download off a of CSTP. It's called Psychedelic. It's crap, mm-hmm. really crap. But we made that. And then that's how the friendship with Gary and S Express, and that just you now that's how that kind of launched. As a side note to that, obviously you were friends with Gary, and we started watch more movies and stuff together, and start just do other stuff other than Commodore sixty four stuff together. Mm. I used to go around to Gary's house quite a bit just to watch movies. His dad used to have get all these early sort of pirated videos back then; they were a big thing. Just to watch some of them, and then I think at some point you were around at his house, when, and then just you know things that people meet each other. The friends become friends of friends. You'd come around to my house one time, I think, when we were doing a demo and did some scrolly writing. And just that's how it, how it was. We were just into similar things. Mm. Um, no, I was into a lot of similar music. You were, you know, you were, you were into really cool music. Gary was into cool music. I wasn't. Um, so it was quite <laughs> interesting to sort of get into the kind of music you brought with you. Being a year older, it, was, it didn't seem like much, but, you, you know, you had a lot of good music in your collections at that time. And you were just interesting, really interesting people. But you weren't judgmental. You were really good people to know. You know, I still are. And I mean, I'm saying that because we're on a podcast, but that's, you know, that's why we've been friends for such a long time, why we've known Gary for such a long time. We just, you know, mm. those kind of people don't come into your life very often. And when they do, they're your friends for life. You, you, know, you know that when you first meet people like that. Mm. And so that's how Gary, certainly how I met. And, you know, and then my, as it turned out, I lived in literally the middle of all the people. So I lived in the middle in a, and where I lived was literally, if you drew an arrow from my house to Adrian's house, to Gary's house, to Rick's house, to the other Richard's house and to Simon's house, I was pretty much bang in the middle. So it kind of just became a place where people would, you would, guys would come to my house. One, because I had a, my own bedroom that was, had a video recorder in it and a C64. And it was, I had parents that, as long as I was quiet, relatively didn't give a shit what we did, which is mm-hmm. understandable, really. I mean, we weren't trouble, but it just, and it was just a good central point to meet because it was just, it was handy. There was a nearby shop. We could just go and buy crappy junk food all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, it became a central point. Um, and my parents weren't in a lot, which meant that we, you know, we just had, you know, just chill out. And it was just nice. And we went around to each other's houses like, you don't do anymore. Kids don't do that now. Because I don't know why, but they don't. No, no. We, going um, around to someone's house to watch telly with them seems unheard of. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. I, 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 yeah. And like what, what Nick's asking is, you know, um, the band. I mean, we just, I think me and you had a very much, um, um, a very similar creative drive that I think yes, was unique to me exactly and you. that's right. I think Gary was... Yeah. Gary did a bit, but I think ours was ours flew in different directions. So it was, yeah. I got I got a guitar. Wanted to learn to play. I had a guitar for a while, so I, I, but I was learning to play it. You've got a bass. Was like, let's just do this. Um, you know, let's make a magazine. And I think it was always. And we just I'm not, wanted to you know, create stuff. Just do stuff. And I think it was the same with the film, the stupid films we made. Because like I remember you did the. Um, the very first, you know, we had a trilogy, haunt the film, the haunting trilogy of films. And your first one, which I had nothing to do with, was like a short four or five minutes that you made stupid. on it. Yeah, and yeah. then when, and I'm not sort of saying I was anything about it, about it, but when obviously I got involved in the second one, which was a year later, it was 45 yeah. minutes long, and it was it was a much more detailed. It was still pretty crap, yeah. but it was much more detailed. Then the following year, we did this nearly hour long one, which was much better yeah. and more plotted and everything. So there was a there was a bouncing off of just a, you know, whereas some people are just mucking about, I think me and you always took it to be like, 
act, well, let's try and do as best we can. Um, yeah, I agree. I think there is the, definitely we had a drive to do that. So what you know, we went we weren't just a band that played gigs in our garage. We did gigs in places. We went to places. Yeah, we you know we went and found a place where we you know we could rehearse because there was a. Yeah. A youth centre that we went to. We used to go there in an early on a Sunday morning, ten o'clock, walking, on Sunday morning, walking yeah. all of our equipment there. You know, carrying sometimes carrying amps and guitars and all sorts. And it was no yeah. short distance. It was about three mile, wasn't it? <laughs> it's a three mile three, walk three, both three, ways. Mile. And walk yeah. there. Sometimes we get there early and queue up outside in the morning, get in there so we could practice in there because yeah. they had a PA essentially and a stage you could sort of use. And a guy, a, an amazing guy called Roy, bless him, he's now died, but an amazing guy who used to get up every and give up his weekends so he could help the young bands of Grimsby go and have a place to practice. Amazing, mm. amazing guy, amazing thing. Um, so we used to do that, but we had that drive to do it. We wanted to be on stage, I think, and just I think so, yeah. And we wanted to do our own stuff. We did a couple of covers, but the majority of our stuff we wrote. And it was just yeah, that we, we just like to stuff. Yeah. I think we just like to create stuff. And so since then yeah. made games, done stuff, you know. So, it's and just, the band it's, the music for for reference, because there's none of it exists now. You can't there's no place where it exists. It's probably on some rogue tape somewhere you might have some, but I, I certainly nah, don't have any. Maybe. Um but we to give you an idea, it's a very difficult sound to create, uh, to create, sorry, to sound to describe. Um, it was heavily influenced by so many different genres of music, the kind of band that we were. It was kind of pop, punk, neo, rush, goth, <laughs> industrial. Because yeah. those are the influences in it. I mean, we had a drum machine that gave it an industrial kind of quality, but we played punk kind of rhythms and style guitar pop punk but we had a goth kind of vibe about melancholy about some of the stuff i don't know it's really hard to pin down anyway kind of people kind of dug it for a while so mm, yeah started but out yeah. as a metal band <laughs> we did a bad metal band very bad very bad unworthy metal band. of angels <laughs> oh dreadful <Or> red name. rock <laughs> dreadful name red rock's better than unworthy of angels we were only unworthy of angels because we, at that point we had a drummer that couldn't drum, a guitarist that couldn't play, and a singer that couldn't sing. Other than that, we were, you know, we, for a while we were the most talented musicians in that band. Absolutely, you were record <laughs> executives that were snapping Kit Kats at the sight of us. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I mean, I'd never picked up a bass guitar in my life until that moment. You, you know, you played guitar for a bit, but we weren't. You know, we were just finding our way. We found our yeah. way, and we found our way. You know, we, and this is what I've always said is that, you know, one of the glues of our friendship and the, what's made this podcast work and everything else is because we just got on with it. No, we didn't have a drummer, so we didn't stop. We're yeah. just like, well, that, that Amiga makes drum sounds. I've got a seat, you know, I, I borrowed a sampler of somebody, sampled Gamma Ray's drums from one of their songs <laughs> off their Sign yeah. No More album, and we just used them. So, you know, our drummer is essentially the drummer on Gamma Ray, Gamma Ray. in our band until yeah. we got a drummer, until we got an actual drummer yeah, on top of an amazing drummer for a one gig, and then a really funny oh, guy called Riggle again, took over the drums. You know, we he's a legend in his own lifetime. Anyway, you know, so we've mentioned him before. That's that's the guy that killed a you know his his mum and dad's budgie with Paxo. That guy, he was the drummer in our band for a while. Kid Conan. <laughs> Am I gone? Am I back? No, yeah, you're still here. All right, cool. I've yeah, Kid Conan. Kid Conan. Anyway, um, yeah. So, but yeah, so those we've had so many early experiences. But, you know, it's, there's always been media output involved in all of them. Magazines, videos, music, podcasts. And now, and now podcast, yeah. 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 And we'll just keep always. going. We'll just keep always. doing something or other. Yep. Um, I think yep. that's it. That's all the questions. We had a lot there. Yep. Um, hopefully you've found that enjoyable. If you wish to 
if you wish to ask your own, if you're not one of our listeners, if you uh, one of our patrons, sorry, and you wish to get in on that action, you want to ask us some questions, and you can do that by heading over to our Patreon and signing up for the £4.50 tier, uh, patreon.com forward slash sap to the past. Help us out. Um, you know, if you're feeling very festive and you just want to get a bit of that. Um, it's got the – we've signed up to change the Patreon, by the way, that it's um, – it's the new version of payment. So you only get charged from the day you sign up. So even if you sign up like on the 27th of December, you're not going to get charged again until the 27th of January. Um, it's on a cool. monthly rolling contract thing like that. They introduced it. So whereas before you pay on the 27th and then get charged again on the 1st, doesn't happen anymore. So we've switched that over. Anymore. So hopefully, you know, hopefully that works. So, I mean, I presume it does. That's the Patreon side of things. But if you want to do that, that'd be great. Um, mm. And you get your episodes early and without ads and things like that. So if you want to do all that, that's great. This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. It's good to learn questions. Yep. I like this kind Always of thing. Always good. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. We'll be back soon with uh, episode 92 um, yep. as, we, as we go into the new year. We carry on with uh, June 1988. Hopefully the games get better. Uh, than what you hear in the last episode. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that's it. It's late. We've been recording a long time tonight, so I think we should uh, yeah, finish there. It's like the old days. It really, yeah. It's just, it does feel like the old days, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Ruddings. Um, and you have been listening to this very special Ask the Podcast episode of Zap to the Past. Uh, we will see you probably in the new year. Um, so, have a good one. Goodbye. Good biddly bong. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.